play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, the hosts of the popular podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. Ann lives in L.A., Aminatu lives in Brooklyn, and they started the podcast as a way to keep in touch. But six years later, they have welcomed incredible guests, including Hillary Rodham Clinton. They are also the authors of the new best-selling book, Big Friendship, a very good book about friendship that we will talk more about later. And because I can't talk about friendship without mentioning the TV show that has bonded me with so many friends, remember when the cultural commentators used to say that New York City was the fifth character on Sex in the City? Well, I think that Snacks might be the official third wheel in Aminatu and Anne's friendship. Anne and Aminatu will reveal their strongest snack game and tell the story about the time they ate Thanksgiving dinner together in a grocery store parking lot. I remember that like very fondly. Like, okay, great. We're both hangry and it is now a fond memory and not a stressful one. This is officially the food and friendship episode of Your Last Meal. Ooh, it makes me feel so cozy. You will meet a pair of best friends that are forever bonded through one particular dish. 28 years ago, Michelle Didion and Joelle Noel forged a friendship over their love of beef stroganoff. And they are still fighting over who makes the best version. It That's did. not what happened. No. Uh, oh, my sauce no, won your... Yes. What What not. won? I mean... I you, won. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You did not. And we'll learn the ridiculous history of the cheese ball and the not-so-ridiculous history of queso with Lisa Fain, author of the Homesick Texan blog and the cookbook, called queso. You know, when I was writing the book, I mean, I ate queso multiple times a day for like a month and I lost 10 pounds, <laughs> and that, which just struck me as really odd. But then when I talked to my doctor about it, you know, she was all like, well, it's low carb, maybe. I don't know. The queso diet. <laughs> <laughs> but first, my conversation with Ann Friedman and Aminatu So. Let's just start at the beginning with how you met. I actually had never heard of a meet cute before, so I got to learn that phrase. Uh, but tell your meeting story and then, you know, talk about how you basically fell in friendship love. So this was 2009. Um, and we both up to that point separately had been uh, devoted fans of the show Gossip Girl, which is a truly terrible teen soap opera like it is not it is not defensible cultural uh consumption but you know it was how we were passing our time back then and this was a like much previewed much hyped prom episode of the show ah well we were introduced to each other by a mutual friend someone that Anne had known um for a long time and someone who i had just met she thought that we would like to know each other. The first time that she and I hung out, she said to me, you have to meet my friend Anne. And very soon thereafter, she engineered like a hang so that we could all meet. 
like I said, even though we had both been watching it separately, I had also been watching with uh, Dio, our mutual friend who sort of set us up and she conspired to be the host of the viewing party that week so that we could both show up and meet each other there. And when I arrived, I noticed that Aminati was wearing a homemade t-shirt that said Chuck plus Blair, which um, for those of you who also consumed this terrible show, you will know it is one of the teen bratty private school Manhattan teen couples on the show. And I loved it. I mean, I love a commitment to a party theme. I love a homemade anything. And so like from the minute I laid eyes on Aminatu in that t-shirt, I was like, yes. (laughs) And what did you think about Anne when you saw her? I mean, pretty much the same. I like loved her style. I loved everything she was wearing. She had this like bold lipstick. I was like, this lady looks cool. But beyond that, like all of her jokes and her asides and her quips at the party were perfect. And it was really fun to be watching a TV show together for the first time. It was great. Anne and Aminatu quickly became best friends. For years, they were each other's dates to weddings. They vacationed together. But years later, living on opposite coasts, the friendship became strained. Despite doing a podcast together and visiting each other and frequently talking, they were having a big communication breakdown. And their feelings were getting hurt. But neither of them knew what to do about it. So they decided to go to therapy. But finding a therapist was not an easy task because friend therapists just don't exist. And while writing their book, Anne and Aminatu discovered that there's not a lot of good research on friendships. Your book came into my life at a time when I had been thinking about and talking about a lot of these things. And I was like, whoa, somebody wrote a book about it. I think most people in society really value their friendships and love their friendships. But for some reason, there's not a lot of effort put in in the same way there is in a romantic relationship or with your family. As far as like if an issue comes up. I think sometimes people just don't want to bring it up or people kind of just fade out friendships. I find that there's not always a ton of work done or communication. And I just thought that was so odd. And, you know, I wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is largely very true. And I think that it's for a bunch of reasons. One, I think that it's fair to say that just communicating in all relationships is really hard. You know, I like salute the people who are just naturally good at it. For me, that is something that I've had to learn over and over again, whether it's with my family or my romantic partners or my friends. And, you know, for a lot of us, we have ingested this really strong cultural messaging that friendship is supposed to be really easy. It took me a really long time to realize that it was completely normal that I was feeling challenged in my friendships. I really thought that it was set it and forget it. You make some like really good friends. It like when you're young, you make them in college, you make some, you know, like you make some after college and then you're just set for life. It had never really been uh, taught to me that, oh, actually, if you want people in your life for a really long time, it's going to get tough at some point. If you are really committed to having deep intimacy with people, no matter what form the intimacy takes, It means that you are going to feel stretched or challenged at certain points, but it means that the work of overcoming that is also very rewarding. Guys, I could talk about this friendship stuff all day, but I won't because we have to move on to snacks. But if you want to go deep, deep on friendship, this is the premise of their book, Big Friendship. You should read it. But food and friendships go together like hot dogs and buns, like chips and dip. Think of all the bonding that happens over late night pizza or celebrating a promotion over brunch. 
One of my best friends and I always talk about eating Chinese food out of the carton when we see each other, like you always see people doing on TV and movies, but we've never actually done it. So at this point, the bond that we've created is about talking about eating Chinese food out of the carton. <laughs> and producer Laura, you have a tradition with a friend of yours, right? Yes. My best friend and I, who I've known since first grade, we go to Olive Garden together whenever something good happens for each other <laughs> or if we're ever on a road trip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The never-ending possible is my mm-hmm. favorite. You can go out and have all kinds of fun with your buddies. But to me, the definition of true, comfortable friendship is when you can just hang out at one of your houses wearing comfy clothes, and eating snacks while chatting or watching shows. The concept of snacks comes up, you know, in your book, and and I think a lot of friendships are based on snacks. Um, How have they played a role in your friendship, and what are you each known for bringing to the literal table? Ugh. Thank you for acknowledging the central role that snacks play in friendship. Yes. Um, I, oh gosh, I really feel like, listen, before writing this book, our friendship was based in and around snacking. The idea that whoever was hosting the other person and like hosting is one of those things where I don't mean it in the very formal kind of I'm hosting a dinner party sense, but like whosoever couch we were on would often take charge of making a snack. Early on, as we write in the book, I was really impressed by like all of Amina's Texas dip knowledge. I feel like her guacamole, her queso, I mean, like truly the queso, there are no words for this woman's queso. Um, especially off season, like a winter queso, I really just can't recommend enough. Um, <laughs> Out of season melted I, cheese. Yes. I mean, if, oh, you want a warm dip in in the depths of like East Coast winter, you know. I also think that like, you know, just being really on top of a snack game while like going to the movies. We went to the movies a lot in the early days of our friendship. And Aminatu always had like a full snack situation in her bag. And like it was like Mary Poppins bag where she would just pull out like whole family size bags of chips and like, you know, various condiments and things like that like it was really a beautiful thing to behold i mean that's also like such a test because like some friends get so embarrassed by that they're like what do you mean you brought your own like what to the thing and the fact that you were so into it is how i knew we were gonna be fine very compatible i would say breakfast and snacks are where we really excel what do you think about Anne? what does she bring to the table Anne is the person who really made me appreciate popcorn. I am like a known popcorn (laughs) hater, but she has brought some like good savory popcorns in my life. Any kind of nut really with a dusting of something delicious. You've really opened my eyes to that. That and Cheetos. I was also very anti-Cheetos until I met you. I think it like goes back to like the dusting of something. And of course, like a cheese ball and the many Midwestern dips she's brought into my life. Anne is from the Midwest and she brings the cheese ball. Aminatu spent some time living in Austin, Texas. She is the queso queen. I love cheese balls. I'm not talking about the crunchy Cheeto version, even though I really love those too. But I'm talking about the creamy, tangy, usually processed cheese that's been sculpted into a ball and rolled in nuts. The kind that's served at parties with crackers. And if you do have this at your party, I will stand next to it all night, hopefully spreading it on wheat thins. Okay, so the origin story of the cheese ball is delightfully ridiculous. I actually burst out laughing while reading about it online. The whole thing sounds 100% fake, 
But there are historical records that indicate that this actually happened. So as legend has it, the first cheese ball was constructed in 1801 by order of a Baptist man named Elder John Leland of Cheshire, Massachusetts. Using milk from 900 cows donated by the local Baptist community, Leland enlisted women in his community to construct a 1,235-pound cheese ball that was later called the Mammoth Cheese. That's quite big. Impressive. It was four feet wide and 15 inches thick. And he embossed the giant cheese ball with the words, Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Which was the phrase that President Thomas Jefferson used on his personal seal. So he takes this 1,235-pound cheese ball, puts it on a sleigh, which is then transported to a barge on the Hudson River where it is floated to New York City. Then it makes its way to Baltimore where it's loaded onto a horse-drawn carriage and sent to Washington, D.C. This whole journey took three weeks. But finally, it was rolled onto the White House lawn and gifted to President Thomas Jefferson. This is the story of the cheese ball. It is so weird. And apparently in 1801, you can just show up at the White House unannounced and chat with the president because Jefferson just opened the door and was like, thank you so much for this giant cheese ball. I'm going to give you $200 because it's not my policy to take gifts. So apparently this cheese ball remained at the White House for several years. People nibbled on it. It was brought out to various events until 1805 when it was finally dumped probably very moldy, into the Potomac River. As for queso, queso's history is very boring compared to the mammoth cheese. The most basic chili con queso you can make is a block of Velveeta and a can of Rotel tomatoes. These two building blocks are just standard in any Texan's pantry. That's Lisa Fain, author of the cookbook Queso that features 50 queso recipes. She's also behind the blog the homesick Texan. I'm a seventh generation Texan, you know, not appreciative of this heritage. My whole life, I wanted to live in New York City. So when I was in my early 20s, I had the opportunity to move up there. I ended up staying for 24 years and I loved it. But one of the things that I learned when I first got to New York City, especially then, was that the things that I had grown up with were not available in terms of foods such as, you know, chili and barbecue and enchiladas, tacos, and of course, chili con queso. And so my obsession became trying to recreate these tastes of home that I miss so much. Texas always beckoned to me. So last year, I moved back to Texas, and that's been fun, too. I'm no longer homesick. And now you get to be homesick for New York. Yes, I am terribly (laughs) homesick for New York. (laughs) Now you need to start a new blog about, you know, all the things you miss, like pizza and bagels. And you can just, yeah. (laughs) Like Lisa mentioned, modern queso is usually made with Velveeta and Rotel a canned blend of tomatoes, chopped green chilies, cilantro, and secret spices that was invented in the early 1940s. Rotel got hitched to processed cheese right away. So queso has been a Texas staple for the past 80 years. But its roots, its roots, (laughs) my Julia Child impression, queso's roots are notably less orange. I was visiting El Paso for the first time, and a friend of mine from El Paso recommended that I get the chili con queso there. And she said it was unlike 
the queso I had grown up with, which is usually orange, you know, usually made with processed cheese, but the queso there is close to the original incarnation of the recipe. So it's made with white melty cheese and lots of chilies. Where is the official epicenter for Tex-Mex style queso? I mean, you're going to hear a lot of arguments. Like, I mean, I think every place says, oh, we have the best queso. I would say Austin, Houston, you know, kind of central Texas. You know, Austin is very famous for its queso. It has some famous quesos like uh, the Kirby queso, which is from a very beloved all night cafe. And it's made with um, white processed cheese and guacamole and pico de gallo. And then there's another place, uh, Magnolia Cafe, which is also an all night diner. It's an orange processed cheese and it has black beans and pico de gallo, but it's called Magnolia Mud. I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I would say that Austin probably is the ground zero for Tex-Mex queso. You know, when you get into the larger cities, you also start to see it in places you wouldn't expect. Like at a Greek restaurant, you know, they might make a Greek queso with Kalamata olives and, you know, cucumbers. And in Austin, there's an Indian queso that, you know, has the melted cheese and it has, you know, jalapeno chutney. Kimchi queso is a thing as well, you know with either, you know, fusion restaurants or even, you know, Korean American restaurants, you know, where they have the basic Tex-Mex base of processed cheese, but they put kimchi in it. And so that's exciting. You know, when you start to see all these ways that people take, you know, the basic bowl of queso and, you know, stamp their own cuisine and cultural influence on it. And, you know, it's the cool thing about queso is that everybody loves it. You know, you can talk to anybody from any walk of life And queso is just kind of like this glue that brings everyone together in Texas. All right, my little cheese heads, my little cheese balls, my little cheese butts. We are going to take the quickest break. But when we come back, why you should never plan a Vegas trip under the influence and how a nearly 30 year friendship was formed by Beef Stroganoff. Just a ferry ride away from Seattle is the Kitsap Peninsula, a land of gorgeous forests, sparkling water for kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding, and adorable seaside towns with locally-owned boutiques and family-owned restaurants. I have done so many day trips to the Kitsap Peninsula, wine tasting on Bainbridge Island, a girl's trip to Paul's Bow, ice cream and architecture in Port Gamble, watching the seals play from the beach in Port Orchard, and I still haven't seen it all. If you're like me and like off-the-beaten-path places where the locals vacation, you are going to love the Kitsap Peninsula. And this month, we're talking about Bremerton and Silverdale. So Bremerton is known as a naval town, and there are museums if you're into the big ships. But the restaurant scene has been really growing over the past several years. Grab a bowl of clam chowder or homemade lumpia at Bremerton's veteran-owned Axe and Arrow. And visit a land and gardens to see meticulously trimmed bonsai and a tree that has been around since 300 BC. Plan your visit. Go to visitkitsap.com slash meal. You can also find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. 
If you are a fan of the podcast and want to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they come out, hit the subscribe button and please leave us a review. And if you haven't already listened, make sure and check out our last episode with filmmaker John Waters. I weigh myself every Friday morning when I weigh the least. And so I eat irresponsibly on weekends. And then I get back and eat properly all week. But what I can't figure out is, after I have two pieces of pie, how long does that take to end up a pound on my body? That's what I can't figure out. We solved this mystery for him. Give it a listen. Okay, back to Anne and Aminatu. What is the story of the Thanksgiving dinner that you ate in a car in Rancho Cucamonga together? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and what year was it? 2011, maybe? 2012? Unclear. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, Anne was living in L.A. I had come out to visit her and to spend Thanksgiving together. And she was a fairly new transplant to LA. So she also did not have set Thanksgiving plans. And on a whim, we decided that we would go to Vegas. I don't know why this was decided. We are not (laughs) Vegas people. I remember how it was decided. And the answer was we were drunk and thought it was a good (laughs) idea the night before. Like, that's how that happened. (laughs) There you go. It was decided that we would go to Vegas. I remember like frantically trying to find an affordable hotel room. It was ridiculous. And so we decided that we would go and that's where we would spend Thanksgiving, which today I this sounds so insane to me. And we ended up that night, like, of course, drinking a lot. And the next day, some of us were struggling more than the others. <laughs> I was struggling. Let's just say it. I was struggling. In this, All in I this could do was watch Charlie's Angels full throttle on the couch for like yeah. hours. Woke up, watched Charlie's Angels on Thanksgiving Day. That was delightful. Then at this point, it's like 1, 2 p.m. And we are committed to going to Vegas because we've shelled money for this <laughs> Hotel room. And Anne also, for some reason, had no snacks in her house, which is like such a weird, like, I do not know you to be this person, but I remember being like very concerned that there was no food in your house. And so we decided that we would get some food along the way. This plan sounds foolish because, as you know, on Thanksgiving Day, everything is closed. Every restaurant or, you know, like highway stop that we would stop by, there was like truly nothing was open, which is correct. It is Thanksgiving Day. Nothing should be open. And at this point, we are hangry and upset and just trying to find, you know, it's like whoever is going to feed us. Driving through Rancho Cucamonga, there was an Albertsons that was open. And so we ventured into the Albertsons, got like the grossest assortment of things, like maybe some like tuna, maybe a salad, just weird stuff, whatever was there. Just imagine two hangry people on a road trip. And... um had a full meltdown eating that meal in the parking lot of, <laughs> of the Albertsons in Rancho Cucamonga. But I remember also feeling that there was like a very stressful moment, but the fact that it did not destroy us or that we were not angry at each other, I remember that like very fondly. Like, okay, great. We're both hangry. We're very much like have the same patterns around like not being fed at correct times and it is now a fond memory and not a stressful one. <laughs> it's interesting because that's the same story that you learned in school about the pilgrims, the Native Americans. Is oh, it? <laughs> it is. That's what they said. They had to eat this weird dinner in the car together, and that's how they all got along. It's a classic Christopher Columbus tale. 
That is hilarious. Did you guys ever make it to Vegas? We did make it to Vegas, and you will be unsurprised to learn that we are not Vegas people. So obviously, we, you know, like we were in bed by like 8 p.m. that night. It was really nice to go to bed early and, you know, never be in Las Vegas ever again. Like I mentioned in the intro, this is our food and friendship episode. So I thought it would be fun to hear from other best friends who are bonded together through a particular dish. Joelle and I became friends in 1992. That's Seattle's Michelle Didion talking about her friend, Joelle Knoll. Way back in our 20s, we were fairly fresh out of school, really, and had just started our first jobs. And our boyfriends at the time were housemates. We became pals, too, because we were hanging out there all the time. The boys' rooms were sort of across the hall from one another, and then there was a middle bathroom, and so there was a lot of, like, middle-of-the-night nudity, (laughs) like, running to the bathroom. We ended up traveling a lot to a lot of Grateful Dead shows together, and I think it was on one of those weekends that we discovered that we both had a deep, deep love of beef stroganoff. They were in their early 20s and learning how to be adults. Dinners were a big deal, but everybody was really sophisticated. You know, like we had people over who would like make Thai food and like food from scratch and like healthy stuff. And so the reason that it took us so long to discover that we both loved beef stroganoff was because we kept it on the down low because it was such trash food. We were not, you know, we were embarrassed to admit that that's what we would eat. (laughs) And we both claimed that we made the best beef stroganoff, so we decided to have a stroganoff off. I'm super competitive, unpleasantly competitive, quite frankly. And so I was keeping my, you know, my secret ingredient. She was kind of keeping her secret ingredient. I was talking some smack, as you do. But what's funny is I thought she was probably making it from scratch. But our secret, secret ingredient was this, those little McCormick packages. <laughs> I had the Laurie's packet and you oh, had the, the shilling or yeah, the, the... Yes. Yes, that was the thing. And the, uh-huh. the Laurie's won. Oh, Michelle. <laughs> That's did. not what happened. No. Uh, oh, my sauce I won. That's Your... Yes. What, what won? I mean... I you, won. No. Oh, my did. God. <laughs> Over the past 28 years, Michelle and Joelle ate many bowls of beef stroganoff. But sadly, the tradition started to die. As you get older, you go gluten-free, and then you're like, well, I don't eat meat anymore. Oh, well, I'm off dairy. You know, so it was impossible to imagine that we would ever have beef stroganoff again. In fact, I haven't made it in a million years. And then um, the other night, I was... I was on my way over to her house and I was thinking, we could make beef stroganoff because now we have impossible meat. We have gluten-free noodles. Like, I think we could pull this off. Want to try to make impossible stroganoff? And she was like, absolutely. So she came up with this really good recipe that works. So we used to use, I used tri-tip, Michelle used ground beef. Now we use impossible meat. We used to use a shilling flavor packet. Now we actually like make our own sauce out of real ingredients with broth and wine and Worcestershire sauce of all things. So we make all those ingredients from scratch. And then I would just put a big, huge tub of sour cream in back in the day. But now we do a mixture of a coconut cream and a um, tofu sour cream. And it really adds that creaminess to the meatiness. And then I put it over gluten-free noodles. And this was the version that they cooked when I came over for dinner. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 Consistency is really good. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The noodles. 
The noodles are good. The noodles are fine. It could use, I think it could use a little spice. Yeah. The vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free version was surprisingly delicious. I was going to say over the course of the night, I ate three bowls, but I actually ate two bowls and then stood over the stove, like picking at it with a fork, which is already rude, but especially problematic during COVID times. (laughs) But I did it because it was so good. This is comfort food at its best. When I was recovering in chemo, people bringing food was to me, it was the ultimate gift. You know, it really was showing their love for me. And it was, it was, I'll never forget it. I think it was Michelle's first chemo. She was away getting chemo and I made a batch and thing and left it on the doorstep. So it would be there when she got home. After first chemo is the best time because I still could taste everything and wanted to eat. So it was, it was good timing. I don't know. I think that the stroganoff off, I don't know. I think it was a turning point in our relationship. <laughs> I do. It was a friendly competition. Because yeah. we always kind of just tended to follow those boys around. And then this was our thing. Oh, yeah. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. That's Joelle Knoll and Michelle Didion. And if you have a food that's been a major part of your friendship, something that you always eat when you're together with your friend, drop me a note on Instagram, your last meal podcast. <laughs> Aminati, will you start? What would your last meal be? Oh, my God. So many different things. But one, I would love a steak frite, like 100%, like the Frenchest fries possible. Um, I would love like also a frise salad with a poached egg and, uh, and some strawberry ice cream and a ginormous Sprite. Oh, what is the origin of this meal? I mean, it's all the things I like. It's all the things I like. Very, uh, it is a meal that makes no sense. (laughs) When I drank soda, Sprite was my soda of choice. And uh, I have not had one in years and I miss it a lot. But um, I just think that like, you know, on a hot day, like a cold, cold Sprite is perfect. And what about you? What is your last meal? Uh, So when I sat down to really think about this, it was hard for me to think about a dish. Like, really, I just kept thinking about all the vegetables I love, like in rapid succession, which makes me think that like maybe some kind of composed bowl of like, you know, peak summer tomatoes, like peak like Iowa summer corn, like peak California avocado, like the most beautiful greens. Like I'm going to also source those from California, you know, some kind of giant heaping bowl of all these beautiful vegetables, like from all of the places where they are like most ripe. That is part of this fantasy. Um, Then some kind of cheese spread, you know, like, like an aged Gouda has to be part of it. Love like the crystallized kind of old Gouda. Um, the most perfect french fries like maybe something with like a double fry to be extra crispy but like you know not too skinny um and also not too fat i'm the goldilocks of french fries like something right in the middle and then you know a nice glass of wine with that and then to finish it off uh a carrot cake and i really love the one my mother makes from like a like a family recipe it is like absolutely slathered in a cream cheese frosting love a cream cheese anything Um, but yeah, that would, that would, that would be my dessert pick. I love because you started with the vegetables that you end even with a vegetable. So your dessert has these (laughs) peak ripe carrots in it. Listen, I do love a vegetable. I will vegetables over fruit any day. Like, so that's, that's where I'm at with this meal. 
And those were Aminatou So and Ann Friedman's last meals. Listen to their podcast. It's called Call Your Girlfriend and buy their book, Big Friendship, from your local independent bookstore. After I read this book, I honestly called like three, four, maybe five of my friends and had these really intentional conversations about what their friendship means to me and how we should always put everything on the table. And I said, you know, if you're ever upset with me, just let me know. I don't want the friendship to die out. So I think that it's a wonderful book. It would be a great holiday gift. Uh, Like I said, pick it up at your local bookstore. Thanks to Lisa Fain, author of Queso and the Homesick Texan. And special thanks to best friends and beef stroganoff off contestants, Joelle Knoll and Michelle Didion. I mean, we are always happy to talk about beef stroganoff. Oh. <laughs> we are always willing always to jump happy. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially for wine. Yeah. Cheers. This episode was produced by Laura Scott and me, original theme music by Prom Queen. Follow along on Instagram. The show is Your Last Meal Podcast. But it's not really the show. It's my Instagram account. And if you like the show, tell a friend. It's a sweet and free way to support us. And when I say us, I mean me and Laura Scott. (laughs) Just us two. Just us gals hanging out. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. I'm Rachel Bell, and I'm going to start over. You will meet a pair of a pair of best friends, or you will meet a pair of best friends. One pair. One you have pair. A pair of shoes. Oh yeah, yeah. a pair of shoes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think if I'm remembering right, that he was the food, like the foodie president, and oh, really? was the person who brought mac and cheese from Italy to the U.S. So we had a thing for cheese. Thomas Cheeserson. I feel like bottomless has a new meaning during quarantine because like no one's wearing pants anymore. So like there should be like bottomless Olive Garden where they deliver it to you and you don't have pants on. Actually, our our Olive Garden quarantine moment was I was too freaked out for us to go eat inside the restaurant. So we ate Olive Garden in the parking lot of Olive Garden. These are all our bloops right here. Perfect.